Welcome to The Mentor List. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Welcome to The Mentor List. This is our specialist mini-series called Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation. With your mini-series host, Richard Elstone, partner at Folly Durham, prior guests on the show, and well-known expert and coach in getting execs ready for making a move. I hope you enjoy this episode of Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation here on The Mentor List. Well, Rasha, welcome to Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation. It's a privilege to have you here today. This uh, is a series of podcasts that I'm doing to talk to less well-known business leaders about their particular backgrounds with the aim of giving people some good advice in their career moving forwards. And uh, what I'd like to do is find out all about you, Rasha. So probably really would love to find out where you were born, what's your childhood, you know, where did you grow up and everything. That's probably a good start. Great. I'm looking forward to the conversation, Richard. So a bit about me. I was actually born in Kuwait. I am from a Palestinian background, but was born in Kuwait. I grew up, I'm a Muslim, but I studied in a Catholic school because... Back in the Middle East, education is quite important. So getting the best study was fundamental. That actually was fantastic because it helped me broaden my perspective, understand different perspectives, and helped shape the person I am. I grew up as a middle child, so I do have the middle child syndrome a little bit. And my parents probably had a very strong influence on the person I am today. My mom was amazing. She taught us the value of trust. She trusted in us. And we all like, were three kids. We grew up wanting to show her that we've, you know, we've earned the trust or we, we've actually lived up to her trust. She was the top of her class, finished high school, and then she met my dad, got married, mm-hmm. and chose to look after her kids. My dad was a pharmacist. He was quite a famous pharmacist in Kuwait. He taught us the value of excellence. He was all about excellence and working super hard. And he always instilled in us living up to our potential. So both of them had quite a strong influence on me. And your sisters or brothers and your other siblings? So I have an older sister and a younger brother, both doing really well. So my sister finished her PhD. She's a a doctor. She is in the Middle East. She's in United Arab Emirates. And she is a dean of one of the colleges. And my brother is a technologist. He's at Apple at the moment leading their support center. So I'm happy that we're all doing relatively well. So you're a very successful family. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And uh, when did you move to Australia? So a while ago. So um, it's I stopped counting, to be frank, 1991, 1992, I think, after the Gulf War in Kuwait. And it was meant to be just a couple of years, come here for a short period. We loved it. We stayed, never looked back. Fantastic. And your life now, where are you now? Are you, are you, um, do you have a family or... 
So yes, I have three kids now. Funnily enough, my middle daughter, I was once writing about being the middle child syndrome and <laughs> kind of was presenting in a career session. And then she looked at me, she said, I can't believe after you've been a middle child, you went ahead and had another middle child. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have three kids, very proud of them, really happy with how, from a career perspective, I feel like I'm adding value, both kind of community-wise, work-wise, and happy with my family. Fantastic. And early on in life, sometimes uh, you come across somebody, maybe a teacher or somebody like that, that helped shape who you are. Is there anybody like that early in your life that you admired? Absolutely. So I, I said I grew up in a Catholic school and I had quite a number of my teachers were nuns and they really, really cared and they believed in me. And up until now, in touch with a number of them, they've had quite an impact on me because the caring factor that someone who really believes in you from very young age just gives you that foundation and that mm -hmm. trust in yourself. So I owe a lot to my schooling and my amazing teachers. So is there a particular one that you remember that you... I do. Her name is Sarah Rouchard. She was our math teacher and I loved math quite a bit because of her. And she was just this person who, again, quite hard on excellence and, and they drive you really hard, but magically do it in a very lovely, caring way as well. So she she's someone like I think stands out for me. The other one was probably my chemistry teacher oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who also kind of taught me more about the reflection in, in kind of how you teach and how you learn because she would pause while she's teaching us. She would stop talking, like would ask her, she would explain a concept. We would ask a question to clarify it because we didn't get it. She'd pause. She could even pause for minutes, which is an awkward silence thinking on the side of the board, then she will come back and explain it. And it's like magic, Richard. She would then come out with a way of how she's explained the difficult concept that we would all go, got it. Which is, again, like in any uh, construct, think about how sometimes you might do something or explain something. Sometimes it's okay to pause, step back, even if there's an awkwardness to, or mm -hmm. silence or pausing in a business context then come back with a different way of how you've explained it. She was magical that way. And do you use that now? Do you do that yourself sometimes? I try. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it is an interesting one. I, I spoke about it to an HR person last week. I pray. We have to pause and pray five times a, a day. So often at work in the business, either once or twice, depending on the time of year, I pause and have to just go in a room for five minutes and pray. That actually does that a little bit. So you sometimes have to take yourself out of the business of the day. Mm -hmm. And then you come back to it with a little bit of calmness, a different perspective, and you've thought about it differently. Often then I come back and I'm not meant to be thinking about work when I'm praying, yeah. but I come back and I've had a thought during that time and I've solved it in a different way. So yes, I do it both having seen my teacher but also kind of it's almost like mindfulness or, or meditation. Yeah, it, is a, it sounds a bit like meditation. Yeah. And it's a real discipline, isn't it, to pray sort of five times a day? It is, but it's good because then as opposed to when I'm busy, I don't do it. I kind of have to. So it's a good way that's forcing me to do the mm. calm, step back, think, then come back to the mm. business and gives you a different perspective. Very good. Very good. So in terms of your career, you obviously went to university. Tell us about your sort of post 
school career and how you got to where you are today? So I, um, and actually I'll tell you a story a little bit because I was in Kuwait. I did my schooling in Kuwait. When I was in Kuwait, Kuwait was the place. Like we traveled to Europe, we'd go places, but we lived a comfortable life. It was like Kuwait was the place. So despite the fact that I was like top of my class, very high, like achiever academically, I thought I want to study in Kuwait University. And it was a funny story. I kind of got an amazing results in my high school. Uh, we were recognized as part of that by the prime minister of Kuwait at the time. And as I was sitting in the awards night, the person sitting next to me was also a top achiever. So I asked him, what is he planning to do at uni? And he said, oh, I'm going to go to Penn University. And I said to him, oh, you can study in Kuwait University, but you're going overseas. And why do you have to? And Kind of obviously, Penn University being an Ivy League, which I could with my score have also uh, opted for that. But the perspective at the time for me was quite narrow. And I thought, like, Kuwait University was the place I wanted to do. It's only when we came to Australia that then the value of that broader perspective and understanding what the world is a, like can offer to you, that I then recognized what else would have been on offer for me? And that's where I actually started exploring quite a bit. So I did my master's at RMIT. I actually did it in artificial intelligence and software engineering. Then I went on and did an MBA at Melbourne University just because I love learning, but also kind of the options that are on offer. And that's also where I love engaging with outside and inside of work in terms of mentoring mm -hmm. to help kind of share some of that broader perspective and help people see what they can pursue beyond what's maybe a narrow definition. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So in terms of your career, you did a load of study, uh, RMIT and later Melbourne. And in terms of career, when did you kick that off? Was it after the university or? No. So I, like, again, kind of studying, learning, studying, sorry, and then kind of working and studying kind of interchangeably is really important. So having gone to do my MBA after years of working, has been amazing because the perspective I've had after I've actually faced certain business or commercial problems, thought about how I solve them, solve for them in a certain way, then going back to study and actually learning a different perspective has been very powerful. So my recommendation is always study, go and work, then go back to study, then go back to work because it's an, an endless cycle, like it never ends. But the perspective of having put your learnings into a commercial context, then go back and take yourself into a studying mode is, is being very powerful. Obviously, doing it on the side while you're working is challenging, but also it gives you a great way to like have a different perspective and balance different. Absolutely. And so when did you join ANZ? So I've been at ANZ for a long time. About 2000 is when I joined ANZ. Love it. Love ANZ. Worked with Ericsson and Siemens before. So my, my career spans both telecommunication and banking. Now been in banking for a long time. Done quite a diverse number of roles. So worked across frontline distribution, projects, technology, product management, operations. And, and that gave me a whole of business understanding. So it's quite powerful to understand the end-to-end business which I absolutely think. and uh, you've managed very large teams as well um, what's the sort of side well, tell me the sort of size of teams and budgets that you've been looking at I did so I kind of managed project teams of 400 500 people budgets of anything between 350 million 400 million a year 
overall kind of within that was like almost three to four years transformation periods where then we've invested about a billion dollar in change and transformation. So quite sizable projects and teams, which is exciting, but also makes you kind of learn a completely different dimension about your leadership and your leadership style. Indeed. So, uh, you know, managing teams of four or 500 people is extremely complex. You know, what's your modus operandi? How do you do it? Not that everybody would agree. I always say kind of these things are always a constant learning journey. I never pretend to be kind of have the answers or, or uh, that I'm right. But I my mode is both strategic and get to understand what's happening on the ground. So I find it not enough for you to stay in um, the clouds and just kind of at the top level, and it's not good for a leader to be too much in the detail. So I find it powerful to be able to move between those two levels, but know when you want to go in and know when it's enough and you have to go out. And that has to develop over the years. So over the years, you sometimes get a sense you can't explain it, it does not feel right. It does not smell right. Women's intuition, doesn't it? Intuition. And then you go in and, yeah. and sometimes you go in and you go, no, it's fine. Go out of it quickly. Sometimes you go in and you go, they need help. And, yeah. and you, so I kind of lead from the front. If there's something wrong, it's my accountability, nobody else. But I'm there to help and remove obstacles as well. Fantastic, fantastic. And in terms of ANZ, you mentioned before we started talking that you do mentor a lot of people or you enjoy mentoring. What sort of things do you mentor people on? Quite a number of things. I I always say to people, I kind of have this model that I draw where I always ask people, tell me what you love doing. Tell me what you don't enjoy doing. Tell me what you're best at and tell me what you are considering as a development area or area that you're not the best um, at. And I always say to people, it's an 80-20 rule, 70-30 rule, no more. Life is too short not to enjoy it. Try and find roles and try and find areas of interest that taps into what you're good at and you enjoy and and, and love doing. And don't do roles where, you know, 60% of the role in things that, you know, you're trying to challenge a capability you don't have or things that you don't enjoy. So, So more tapping into who you are as a person and making sure that, you are not pushing against the grain constantly. Be true to who you are. Absolutely grow and develop and push yourself, but know genuinely who you are and what you enjoy and love doing and, and go more after those things. And and a bit of that mentoring has been fascinating to help people unpack that. So that's been quite strong. And then the value of you know knowing who you are, trusting in yourself and yeah. just believe in yourself and, and go after things and take yourself out of your comfort zone and these were kind of few things that i do like both internally and outside of ends as, as well which i feel is a way to help others like i had great mentors who helped me over my career absolutely if you could go back to the 21 year old rasha and you wanted to give her some advice about her future career what would it be what, what would you say to the 21 year old rasha 
Very interesting because I actually have a 23-year-old now, funnily enough. I'm 29. I'm forever 29. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You look 29 too. But I do have a 23-year-old. So often that question is answered by how I'm guiding her with her career. She's finished a commerce degree. She yeah. did finance and marketing and she's in Westpac now. So often I talk to her. My, my advice and what I would say to my 21-year-old self is lean in. It's okay to be different and always know why you do what you do. Okay. And why give that advice? So lean in because often we, you know, and I don't want to kind of make it just about females, but like often females kind of, when I, I've managed this, you, you know, large teams, often I find I had of females and males, I've had an opportunity, the male like people in the team would come to me and I love the way they do it. They would knock on the door. They would say, we're ready. This is something that, you know, we want you to consider us for. And the females who I actually kind of in one example, specific example in my mind, the female was actually the one I would felt she was ready. She didn't come and talk to me. She didn't feel she's up to it. The male who was absolutely not ready spoke to me three times, which kind of made me think, what's going on in here and a bit of this is then my advice and I know I I was guilty of the same as the younger version of myself just sometimes lean in trust in yourself and go for the opportunity you don't need to think I have to have 200% of the capability (laughs) (laughs) and and just give it a go I think that's really important being different is a big one and often I find People, human nature, people just want to fit in and be like the others because it's more comfortable. Actually, the people, when you observe people around the world who are amazing and did amazing things, they are different. Yet we don't grow up being told, you know what, it's okay to be different. It's okay not just to be like everybody else and be confident with that. So again, I think kind of this value of diversity and not just talking about it, actually making sure that people feel comfortable to be different Mm. and people within themselves feeling okay to be different. That's an important differentiation point. And I think we need to talk about it a bit more. And the last one was, why do we do what we do? And, And I think this is the whole purpose thing. You're a lot more powerful as a leader, as a a human being, as a parent, when you have a sense of purpose and, and knowing that purpose from early age and knowing why you do what you do, just give you that compass and gives you that stability and confidence in Absolutely. what you're doing. So it, it's, I can't stress it enough. The purpose thing is, is huge. Mm. You uh, mentioned before the interview as well how wonderful ANZ has been for you in terms of allowing you to be who you are and giving you the space to be that. And so can you give some advice maybe to other organizations that are looking to improve their diversity? I can't compliment ANZ enough. That's probably why I stayed that long at ANZ as well. But I always, and I've kind of interacted with quite a number of organizations, a number of people. I find sometimes there's the lip service to diversity and there's genuine diversity. For me, diversity goes beyond gender, goes beyond kind of the superficial things to be more around all aspects. So diversity of thinking, diversity of background, diversity of gender, diversity of kind of on all aspects. And ANZ has been fantastic to genuinely celebrate people of all backgrounds, 
doesn't matter who you are, you can bring yourself to work and, and be who you are. And I think that's something that is a little bit of a differentiation point for ANZ. That is not easy, but I think it starts from the top. So, you know, we're lucky now with Shane as our CEO. Shane absolutely role models that, and he is huge on values and he is huge on celebrating diversity. So I think kind of my advice to other is it, it has to be kind of a tone from the top. We have to be genuine about it. It's not lip service and it's not just about kind of targets and you know, it's actually how you create the culture, the day-to-day culture that allows it to become the way you do things. That's fantastic. So, and have you, and there's been a huge amount of change that's been happening at ANZ as well, not least in the last 12 months with the agile way of working and all the rest of it. Do you think that, you know, with all that change, you know, the diversity helps, hinders, you know, what actually does all this change mean for ANZ as a company? Yeah. And and look, change is hard. And and credit again to Shane, who initiated the change, and ANZ more broadly. The whole agile journey was all about the cultural change. So Shane wanted the organization to be less bureaucratic, for us to become feel more empowered, have more pace on value creation. And that's kind of a, a mindset shift, less just about kind of agile is a methodology and more about the mindset and the cultural change. That mindset shift, the more you have diverse thinking and diversity of style, the more successful you can be. Mm. So it's actually kind of helps and celebrates the diversity that already exists at um, ANZ. Absolutely, absolutely. So is there a quote, you know, that you live by? Is there something maybe from the Quran or is it from something else, maybe a a business leader that that just resonates with you, that just speaks to who you are and that you live by? And this is a funny one to reflect on, but I told you my dad kind of taught us the value of excellence. My teachers taught me the value of excellence um, I love the quote that goes, good, better, best, oh, never yes. let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. And I feel that's something that it's about your potential. It's just, you know, it's it's what's best for you as well. And if it's best for you, it's best for those around you. I think that's absolutely. what we're absolutely. talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then everybody benefits organizations families everybody absolutely fantastic and um what about a book that you suggest everybody reads to help them with their careers there's something that you've read over many you know over a number of years that resonates with you there as well yeah books are fascinating there's a lot of books you can cover a a long list I, i think from a recency example mindset the book by carol dweck is a fantastic one that i recommend and it's something that you kind of have almost known aspects of it over the year as a leader, where you sit and actually read the mindset book, it's very powerful in terms of your ability to understand how it's all about the mindset. The whole idea around the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, how you understand your triggers and the fact that we're all probably have, you know, there's no one who's just growth mindset and someone who's fixed mindset. We all have triggers that would make us fall into a fixed mindset. So how do you kind of manage around those triggers and allow yourself to continue in a growth mindset? It's been quite a powerful read and I, I highly recommend it. Fantastic. And it goes back, I think, to your quote 
that you live by as well. It's sort of all about that self-improvement and and all the rest of it as well, which is which uh, you know is really, obviously really really important. Yeah. So learning. Uh, for you. Don't be afraid of failure. It's actually about the learning. It's not about kind of fear of failure and. You know, push yourself a little bit hard and what's the worst that will happen? <laughs> Fantastic. And if people want to get in touch with you, Rasha, what's the best way of people doing that through LinkedIn or? Yes, on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. I'm very happy to absolutely, you know, support more broadly. As I said, I had some amazing mentors and I'm always happy to support others. Rasha, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really, really appreciate it. And I think our listeners will really appreciate as well all your insights that you've given today. It's been truly wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your time, Richard. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at The Mentor List. If you'd like to hear more or speak to us about recommending our next interview guest, come on through to mentorlist.com.au. You can also find out more about our suite of mastermind series taking shape in your area, your industry, and your discipline. We look forward to welcoming you to one of our events very soon. Stay tuned for another great show. for listening to The Mentor List. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.